Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Turn with me to the book of Numbers, chapter 21 this morning. Numbers, chapter 21. As we continue in our series of Egypt to Canaan, our brother Dave last week covered Numbers chapter 20, and this morning we are tasked with covering Numbers 21, and we're only going to do a small portion of it this morning. Numbers chapter 21, and we'll begin to read at verse 4. Numbers 21, beginning at verse 4. It says, Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the souls of the people became discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And our souls loathe this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents upon the people. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole. And as it was, if a serpent had bitten, uh, had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. So this morning we find ourselves in a very familiar story, right? It's a, it's a good Sunday school story. But it's one that has an immense amount of wealth in it. And in fact, it's quoted in the New Testament well in John 3, and we'll get to that. But so this morning we find the children of Israel there again. Uh, last week we learned that the, 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 that the Edomites, those of the descendants of, of, of Esau, said, No, you cannot go through our land. And if you come, if you come through the land, we're going to fight you. And the Lord said, Okay, you're not going to go around. You're not going to go through Edom. You're going to go around Edom. And so the children of Israel had to turn around and head in a southerly direction and go around the territory of Edom to then come back up north to eventually go into the promised land. And we read here that the children of Israel were discouraged. You got to have to imagine a little bit, right? After wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for an entire generation to die off because they did not believe. They did not have faith in the living God. They, they, they witnessed the, the miracles of God and they rejected the living God. And yet here after all this time, the time had, had come to pass for them to go into the land and here is an obstacle. They can't go through the land of Edom. They have to go back south into the wilderness. And you could tell that the people lost heart, didn't they? And, and, and they were frustrated and angry. Life was hard. They were back into the desert. It was hot. There was not always water to drink. There was not always food to eat. And they began to complain and murmur. And they complained against the Lord Himself, right? 
Oh, at this point, it would have been better to die off in Egypt, they said. It would have been better to stay there and live out our lives as slaves and die. For where we are in this desert, there is no food, there is no water. And we're tired of this bread we have every day. They called it worthless bread. Loathsome bread. And we see that the people sinned against the Lord. And so the Lord judged them. And He sent upon them fiery serpents. And these serpents came out and bit the people. Now, this wasn't a, a, a tiny little snake with very little venom where, where if you get bit, it's, it's just, it'll swell your, in the area which you get bit. No, it's very clear in Scripture that whoever was bitten, it says that many of the people of Israel died. So, if you were to get bitten by the snake, it was a death sentence, wasn't it? You know, there's great parallels in this story to us. It's interesting that the Lord decides to judge His people by sending them snakes. For snakes should recall to your mind and your memory a certain character in Scripture, does it not? We learn at the very onset of this book, in the the book of Genesis, about Satan himself. The devil who took the form of what? A serpent. And he, cunning as he was, deceived Eve and caused her to sin. And along with her husband. And because of their sin, we read in Romans... We read in Romans chapter, uh, chapter 5 that through Adam, sin entered into the world. And sin was passed to all mankind. And through sin comes what? Death. So you see, brothers and sisters, friends, this morning, we all, in a way, have been bitten by the serpent, haven't we? We're all, we all have that poison of sin flowing in our veins. It's, it's not curable. Nothing we can do can repair it. It's ultimately going to cost us something. I believe Paul puts it best there in his epistle to the Ephesians. To the Ephesians. When he describes the state of humanity in Ephesians chapter 2, there in verse 1, 2, and 3. And I'll read it to you. It says, And you, he made alive, it says, Who were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. Paul's telling you from the very onset, from, from birth, you were a sinner. You see, you never have to teach a child to do wrong. It's quite the opposite. You have to train a child to do good. Why? Because the know-how to do bad is already in them. 
Paul's telling you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were born sinners. You were sinners by birth. Verse 2, it says, In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Not only are you dead in your trespass and your sin, not only are you a sinner by birth, but everybody in this realm, everybody on this earth is, is under the influence of that. Who, who, what, do you, what do you say? Sir? Under the power of the air, the prince of the power of the air. Who do you think that is? Satan himself. That old serpent, Revelation calls him. That serpent of old. We see in verse 1, we are sinners by birth. In verse 2, we see that we are sinners by practice. We're sinners by practice uh, under the influence uh, uh, of Satan himself. And in verse 3, it says, Among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. What do we learn in verse 3? That we're sinners by choice, too. You see, in verse 1, we learn that we're, we're, we're sinners by birth. Our, our very nature that was passed on through Adam. We are sinners by nature. Verse 2, we're under the influence of Satan himself. And, and, and we practice. We're practicers of sins. And one can say, well, well I, I'm born a sinner. That's not my fault. And, and I'm under the influence of Satan. How is that my fault? Well, verse 3 tells you, guess what? Guess what? Oh, no, no, no. It's not Satan's fault. And it's not your fault that you're born. Listen, you choose to sin. You choose to give in to your own lustful flesh. You, you choose to... to Go down the path of sinners. We're born, yes, we're born sinners. And yes, we're, we're practicing sinners under the influence of, of Satan. But yes, we also choose to sin. And like, we read, like, like I told you in Romans chapter 5, right? Because there is sin. Because sin entered to the world. And through sin came death. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. You see, brothers and sisters and friends, this morning, the children of Israel were there in the wilderness. And they were being bitten by these snakes. And the poison was, was in their bodies and circulating in their blood. And they were as good as dead people. There was nothing they could do I tell you this morning, every human being is in that state. Born in their iniquity. Practicers of sins. Who are sinners by choice. And because of this, we deserve nothing but death and hell. The children of Israel found themselves in a hopeless state, did they not? And humanity finds themselves today in a hopeless state. There is no hope. There is no cure that we know of. Oh, thank the Lord. The Lord provided a way, did he not? And we see the children of Israel come to their senses. 
They came to their senses. They saw the fruits of their sin. For many of the children of Israel died. And they realized this. They realized this, that we have sinned against the Lord, they say. They went to Moses, Moses, we have sinned against the Lord. And we sinned against you. Friend, I tell you, there's no better place for any person to be than that in that place. In a place of repentance. I don't want to call it the first step. But salvation begins at repentance. They realized what they had done. And they threw themselves at the mercy of God. It's an important step. Every single human being, every single person that has walked this earth has to come to that decision. And if they don't, it's a dark end, isn't it? I, you know, the, the book of Luke wonderfully illustrates this principle of repentance. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 15, we read of the prodigal son, don't we? The parable of the prodigal son. You guys know this story. An impetuous young man says to his father, I'm done with you. I want my inheritance. I want to do what I want. I don't want to be under your, your law. I don't want to be under your rule and protection. I want to do what, what, what pleases me. Let me have my portion, he says, and, and I will make my own way. And graciously, the father gives him his inheritance. And this, and this young man goes off to a far country to, to, to live it up. And very quickly, the material things fall through the cracks of his fingers. They just fall away. And he finds himself at the end of the road feeding pigs and being so hungry that he contemplated eating the scraps and the, and, the, and the rotten pieces of food that he was feeding these pigs. And he came to a moment of repentance in his heart. And he says, In my father's house, servants have plenty to eat. They have more than enough to eat. I've sinned against my father. I'm going to go back to my father. I, not as a son, but I'm going to plead with him. Let, let me just be a hired servant, he says. And he goes back to his father. And when he goes back to his father, his father sees him a long way off, and his father sees him and runs towards him. Embraces him and gives him a kiss. And, and he says, Father, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. First and foremost, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. Oh, when the father heard those words. A repented son. A son that was lost has returned. He says, bring him a robe. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fatted calf. For my son has returned. The repentance of a lost soul. 
returning to his father. The importance of repentance. Later in Luke, in Luke chapter 18, you recall there, the Lord tells this story, this parable, about, about the Pharisee and the tax collector. How, how the Pharisee would stand in the front of the, of the temple, and with his hands open and his eyes turned to heaven, would say, oh, thank you, Lord, that, that I'm not like these people, that I'm not like this tax collector. I, 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 I fast, Lord. I, I tithe. I give all that I have. All that I have, I give a portion to you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like these sinners. The Lord says there was another man, a tax collector. It says that he wouldn't even come to the front. He says he, he stood in the back in the corner. And all he could do is, is bow his head and, and be on his chest and say, Have mercy, Lord, on a sinner like me. Have mercy, Lord, on a sinner like me. A repented heart. And the Lord says, one man walked away. Righteous. It wasn't the Pharisee, was it? But it was the one with a repented heart. Last example I'll give you there in Luke chapter 23. There as the Lord hung on the cross amidst sinners. Amidst two criminals. One on his right and one on his left. And, and one of them would mock him. And say, if you are who you say you are, save yourself and save us. The other criminal had realized that this man who, who, who was there between them was not just a mere man, was not just a common man, but he was a man without fault, who was a man who, who had done no wrong, who was a man who did not deserve to be hang, hung on that cross. And he rebuked the other criminal and says, listen, you and I, we deserve what we're getting. We deserve the punishment for our sins. But he is just. He is holy. And all he does is turn to the Lord. Lord, remember me. When you come into your paradise. Realize that he is deserving of the punishment of sin and death. And he has no hope within himself. Turns to the living God and declares him as Lord. And the Lord Jesus says what? Today, you will be with me in paradise. The importance of a repentant heart. That's where it begins. So we see the children of Israel had a repentant heart. They go to Moses and say, We have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned against you. Pray to the Lord that He would take away these serpents. And Moses intercedes on their behalf and prays. And the Lord provides a solution. Doesn't he? He tells Moses, Moses, I want you to make a fiery serpent. I want you to put it on a pole. And if anyone is bitten, tell them to look upon it. And they will live. You know, it's very interesting that the Lord chose a serpent. The very thing that was causing them an early death. He chose a serpent 
a bronze serpent to be put up on a pole. The interesting point that I want to I want you to, to think about and meditate upon is the command that he told them. He told Moses that if anyone was bitten, they're to look. Moses, you lift up that serpent, and if anyone is bitten, let them look, and they'll live. You see, God's solution was simple. It was a simple one. And the children of Israel, as they were there getting bitten, all they had to do is turn and look, and they would live. It was very simple. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to this very story. John chapter 3, verse 14 reads this. And he's talking to Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisees, a teacher of the, of the law. He says to them, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, he says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. The Lord Jesus drew a parallel between that serpent being lifted up and between, between the serpent and himself and the type of death he was going to suffer. You see, the serpent had to be lifted up. For the children of Israel, so when they were sitting around, wherever they are, they could always look up. They weren't to look down. They weren't to look around. They were to look up at the serpent. And the Lord came to this earth. And at the, at the onset, at the beginning of his ministry, there in John chapter 3, he says, just as the serpent was lifted up, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And I want to point out three things to you that I find very important and very crucial. The idea of him being lift up, lifted up, must, even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Three times in the book of John, the Lord refers to him being lifted up. In John chapter 3 here, speaking to Nicodemus, he, at the beginning of his ministry, he tells him, I must be lifted up. Nicodemus didn't quite, quite understand, didn't fully understand what was going on. He knew the story, didn't he not? But he didn't understand what he was referring to. In John chapter 8, in John chapter 8, after the whole scene with the woman who was caught in adultery, and that's all said and done, and he was discussing with, with all these Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, concerning who he was and who his father was. He says to them, in John chapter 8, he says, when you lift, speaking to the Jews, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He, He says. When you lift the Son of Man, you will know that I am. Chapter 8 is right smack in the middle of His ministry. Speaking to the Jews, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am, I am, He says. I am He, the Lord God. And then again, we see Him in John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, there at the end of his public, close to the end of the public ministry, there we find 
bunch of Greeks. A bunch of Greeks uh, looking for Jesus. They find Philip and say, we must see Jesus. And Philip takes him to Andrew, and Andrew says, hey, we must see Jesus. And so Andrew brings him to Jesus. And the Lord says, in John chapter 12, it says, Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, he says. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. And it says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood and heard it said it had thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, the voice did not come because of me. But for your sakes, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Listen, and I, if I am lifted up to the earth, will draw all people unto myself. And you may be saying, well, why is he going on and on about him being lifted up? Because sometimes, brothers and sisters, in, Christ, in Christendom and in secular society too, we look at Jesus Christ, we look at the man Jesus, and we say, he was a good person. He was a good teacher. He was a good philosopher. We look at the, at, at the, at the, child, the child Christ, baby Jesus, and we say, oh, what a wonderful story that is. I love the story of Jesus being born. But we can't stop there, brothers and sisters. Friend, you can't stop there. You see, that, that little baby was, was born for one purpose. To be crucified. To hang. To be lifted up. You know, Paul, in his epistle to the Corinthians, the first epistle of the he says, he says to the Corinthians, he says, when I came to you, he says, I, I, I didn't want to know anything else among you but this. This is what I wanted for you guys to know about. I didn't want to talk to you about anything else but this. He says, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's it. Nothing else. Him crucified. Brothers and sisters, in Numbers chapter 21, the serpent was lifted up and the children of Israel would look and, and the life that was quickly fleeting from their bodies was restored. And, and the physical body was, fi was fixed for the time being, was it not? They lived another 40, 50 years, whatever it may be. They, 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 they survived the venom of the snakes. And that's great. The Lord provided a solution of salvation for His people that day. But brothers and sisters and friends, I tell you this morning, when Jesus Christ was lifted up, it was not just for your physical health. In fact, it has nothing to do with your physical health. Oh, it has to do with your spiritual life. For in John chapter 3, when he says, uh, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What does the next verse say? Let me turn to it so I don't misquote it. It says, verse 15, it says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
See, it was an issue of physical health. You know, it, it, you know the, the medical community has, that, has a serpent on a pole, don't, doesn't they? And, and their mission is to what? To heal all people. And it's a, it's a, it's a noble cause, isn't it? But the Lord wasn't lifted for your physical health. He was lifted for your spiritual life. That he may give you life and life abundant. And the question is, why did he have to go up? Why did he have to be lifted up? And it's, you were, you were, you were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You, you were in a hopeless and helpless state. And Jesus Christ was lifted up. And why was he lifted up? Well, First Peter chapter 2 puts it best. It says, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to us, might, might, um, might have life for righteousness, whose stripes you were healed. You see, friends, this morning, I tell you that Jesus Christ was lifted upon a cross. Not because of something he did, but because of the sins of humanity. Because of your sins. And because of my sins. And he hung on this tree to pay the penalty of my sins and your sins. Isaiah chapter 53, a very common, common passage, puts it perfectly, right? It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes... Are we healed? All we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. And so how do we receive this life? The children of Israel, all they do is have to look and they lived. And I tell you today, friends, it's still that simple. It is still that simple. We don't physically look, obviously. For he's no longer on the cross. He was buried and he rose again and he sits now at the right hand of God. To the praise and glory of the Father. But just like those children of Israel, all it takes is repentance. And to turn to God and cast yourself upon the mercy of God. And He will bestow forgiveness and grace and love upon you. And will redeem you. One last thing I have to point out. I want you to think about the way the way the Lord expressed his solution or his salvation to the children of Israel in Numbers. He says, if anyone is bitten, let him look upon the servant and he will live. What I want to point out to you is that the salvation of the person is on an individual basis. It's on an individual basis. You see, if, if you were a children of Israel back, back in that day, 
uh, Jacob over here and Eliezer over here. Uh, Jacob would get bitten and he would look and he would have life. And Eliezer would be bitten and he says, don't worry about it, Eliezer. I already looked for you. No, that wouldn't work. Eliezer would perish, would he not? Friends, I tell you this morning, if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're still lost in your sins. You're still dead in your trespasses and your sins. Just because you, you, you come to a meeting, it doesn't make you saved. In the very story in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, a a teacher of the law, a ruler of the Jews, comes to the Lord by night and the Lord says to him, guess what, Nicodemus? You have to be born again. You have to be born again. I know you know the law. You know what's written in 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 the Scriptures. But you have to be born again. It didn't matter. All the accolades he had, all the degrees, the seminary degrees he may have, if he didn't have personal faith in Jesus Christ, it did not matter. Friends, I tell you, it does not matter whether you go to a meeting or not. It doesn't matter whether you show up faithfully to a, to, to a church, listen to the preacher, sing the songs. None of that means anything. Jesus Christ wants a personal relationship with you. You turn to him personally. Your mom can't do it. Your dad can't do it. Your grandmother can't do it. You have to do it. I'll leave you with a story. In the last century, there was a man in England by the name of Charles Spurgeon. A great Baptist preacher in England. Thousands upon thousands of souls were saved through the ministry of this man. And when this man told his testimony, it was a very humble testimony. And I share it with you this morning. He was a young man, he says, and he was searching. He was convicted by by, by who he was. He knew the law. He knew he could not keep it. But he did not know what to do. He felt helpless. He said he used to go from place to place, from, from place of worship to place of worship, seeking for an answer. He said one, one Sunday morning he was at a, a small country church. And he said it began to snow. And the, the, the itinerant preacher that was supposed to come could not come because of the snow. So he said it was a small crowd, probably about 15 people there. And they asked an, a, a certain gentleman to take the meeting. Spurgeon goes on to say that this man was not an eloquent man. He was not a man who, who was educated. He was not a man who, who was a preacher. In fact, he, he didn't know what he was doing much of anything. But Spurgeon said, what he knew he repeated over and over. He turned to the book of Isaiah, chapter 45, verse 32. It says this, it says, Look at me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. That's the only verse he said. And he said over and over, have you looked? Have you looked? Have you looked upon God? 
Spurgeon says, at that very moment, I looked, and I was one with God. From there on out, I was one with God. And I plead with you this morning, friend, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, have you looked? Have you looked upon the one who was lifted up for your sins? Have you looked? Let us pray. Our Heavenly God and Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, that in it we find a God who is a God of compassion, a God of love. A God who who looks to the individual, Lord, and meets them where they are, Lord. Father, we ask for each soul here tonight, Lord, this morning, Lord, if any soul has not has not come to to faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, Father, convict them with your spirit, Lord. And for those, Lord, who who have come to the light, Father, let our hearts and, and, and souls be refreshed. By such a great God we serve. Lord, I ask all these things in your son's precious name. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.